0: For better or worse, 2020 was the year that technology became an inevitable part of teaching yoga. If we wanted to continue teaching, for most of us, it had to be online. Some yoga teachers dove in enthusiastically, some reluctantly, and some teachers quit teaching entirely rather than bring their classes onto Zoom. Whatever camp you fell into, you've likely never had to confront your relationship with technology as intensively and intimately as you did last year. This podcast episode is an invitation to examine that relationship and check in with how you're using technology now and how that aligns with your vision for the future. My guest, Avi Gordon, is the director of the Integral Yoga Teachers Association at Yogaville, Virginia. Avi is the host of the Integral Yoga Podcast, a social philosopher and the author of A Light in the Tunnel. Avi has also been a school teacher for students of all ages in Taiwan, Israel, South Korea, and the U.S. Avi's role as director of IYTA is what inspired him to become a student of technology, and he's got a lot of helpful advice for yoga teachers who want to better harness the power of technology but don't think of themselves as being good at tech which he also doesn't necessarily think of himself as being good at tech. If you're interested in how our yoga practice can influence our relationship with tech, I think you'll love this episode. Let's jump right in and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the podcast, Avi.
1: Thanks for having me, Madel.
0: I'm excited to talk about technology and how we can be in right relationship with technology as yoga teachers. And before we jump into that, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background of how you discovered yoga and why you became a teacher.
1: Okay, how I discovered yoga. Um, Maybe now 12 years ago or so, I was living in South Korea. uh, And I uh, had a friend there. And she asked me one evening, hey, do you want to go take a yoga class? I'd never taken a yoga class before in my life. And I can remember like the state of mind. And I was like, mm, do I want to do this right now? Like it literally could have gone either way. Like I didn't have much of a preference one way or another. Like, all right, let's do it. Let's try it. And I, I was hooked immediately. Um, and it was great, actually. So I continued to do yoga while I was in Korea and uh, fell in love with this instructor, but actually she did not speak English. So my my introduction into yoga was just visually observing the teacher and and mimicking what she was doing, yeah.
0: And did you get a mental transformation as well, even without verbal instructions?
1: I think so, it, it was really neat to develop a relationship with her, even without the language connection. I still think about her. Um, and I felt that deep connection to her, like on a spiritual level, even though we couldn't like have a regular conversation the way that we're, we're doing right now. Um, so I would say yes. Yeah.
0: So she kind of embodied the teachings in a way that transcended language for you.
1: Exactly that you nailed it. Yeah. Just the way that she carried herself. Um, I mean, even though I wasn't understanding what she was saying, just the, her voice and the way that she used words and, and the way that she allowed silence and all of that. Yeah.
0: So what inspired you to start teaching?
1: Yeah. So then yoga just became a part of my life. And I, no matter where I lived, I was uh, taking classes. um, And then I just had the opportunity and uh, I went to Kripalu and decided to jump into a, a month long teacher training program. And from the very start, like, I felt like I just found my people in terms of, of yoga. I found my sangha, my community. Um, so I had already been a teacher for a while. So that kind of that role of, of being in that position was somewhat comfortable for me. And then this was something that I felt passionate about.
0: And how about your relationship with technology? Has that always been an easy relationship? Or, I mean, would you say that you are a tech guy?
1: I wouldn't at all, actually. But um, in a way, I feel like I have to pat myself on the back because I've come a long way. And yoga has helped me, actually. I I mean, I tend to have the attitude that yoga is how we do everything and our relationship with everything. So why would technology be any different? Um, but yeah, it wasn't like, you know, when I was a kid, I was into sports and and just I wasn't like about computers much or anything else like that. I, that was that would not be how I labeled myself. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, fascinated by technology and what it can do, and I and I feel like it deserves, it deserves uh, respect and and kind of some wonder and awe for us to just be able to be doing this right now and so many things. So, um, I think fostering a healthy relationship with it um, has been very important to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and just for context. I think the generation, how old we are, is important for our relationship to technology. So I'm curious because I'm making an assumption that you're a bit younger than me, but I could be wrong. So would you share how old you are?
1: Yeah, uh, 36.
0: Okay, so I'm 43 and I am in a bridge generation. So I'm in between Gen X and millennial. Whereas you're like pretty solidly millennial. You know, when you say that you aren't a technology guy, it may still be that your assumption of what that means is different than somebody who is a Gen Xer or a boomer, right?
1: So totally. So I deal with this all the time with with my Sangha, you know, because I'm the director of the Integral Yoga Teachers Association. and Integral Yoga, we have a long history and actually the majority of our members are probably above 60 i would say and they're co- i'm constantly hearing like oh you're so good with technology i'm like what like so i think that's to your point it's all relative
0: i <laughs> i think i've still told this story before on the podcast but when i started college email was just becoming central to the college experience right we were just starting to email our teachers And we would have these kiosks, these little independent email stands, stations in the hallways of of the school. And they would be black and orange or black and green. And you'd use command prompts to get to your email. So if that gives you kind of a (laughs) a little context, because I suspect that even by the time you got to college, what would that be like?
1: Yeah, that was seven years uh, later. 2002. Or yeah.
0: So I think that that was even being phased out by then. That it was just it it really exploded. But I had the opportunity to take some computer classes and learn from the ground up what is going on, how how this all works. Not that I remember that much of it, but just having that exposure of like binary and how everything from a digital standpoint is based on communication around zeros and ones or on and off basically. And so as complex as it has become, the building blocks are actually very simple. And I I do think that just having had that history and that background has made me more open to learning technology. And to just being, to trusting that I can figure it out. That whatever it is, it was built by humans. And so, and it was built by smart humans with the intention of making life easier, generally. That's what technology is, right?
1: Absolutely, I I mean, that's the intention, whether or not it always accomplishes that, I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) No, it definitely doesn't always accomplish that. But to me, when we're thinking about right relationship with technology, that's what I always come back to is this was designed to make my life easier or to make somebody's life easier.
1: Hmm.
0: So if that's not happening, I need to figure out, is there a learning curve that I need to overcome before it will make my life easier? Or is there an alternative? (laughs) Because if it's not making my life easier in some way, then it's not fulfilling its purpose.
1: Such a good point, right? Because there's so much stress, I think around using technology. But I think what you're, you're saying is that 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 kind of goes against the purpose of it. That's not the point of it. But I th- see, I think that really has to do with how we tend to compare ourselves with other people, right? It's like, how good am I at this compared to someone else? They know better than me, which kind of messes up the whole thing as opposed to just kind of this fresh starting place that you're looking at it from. Like no one else is involved. Here's this thing. And the point of it is to make my life easier. Okay, can I figure out how to how to do that?
0: Right, make my life easier or make me more effective at mm. fulfilling my intention. I think what you're really speaking to is the difference between coming to technology with a clear intention versus copying what other people are doing. And if we don't know why we're using technology, I think that's where we really get messed up.
1: yeah. Yeah, but I think the the fitting in aspect goes very, very deep. I just noticed that all the time, like we humans really want to fit in. That's a really important question, though, to be asking. Why, why am I using it? Am I using it to fit in and be included or to be more effective, as you said?
0: Tell me more about how that shows up in your life, this desire to fit in and how that influences your relationship to technology.
1: I mean you know doing stuff like this you know the podcast is i really love it right like i love the aspect of having conversations and um being of service in that kind of that kind of a way just like calls to me but at the same time it's like uh i know that there's you know different levels of equipment uh and scheduling tools and and lots and lots of stuff and um and, and so there's a part of me that just wants to have the conversation, right? That kind of like resists rising to that next level because I want to keep it simple. But when I notice that other people are doing it and doing it well, like, okay, like, should I, should I go into that new territory myself? Should I get uncomfortable because I'm seeing other people do it and there, there's probably a good reason why they're doing it.
0: Yeah. So that's interesting. It's like, okay, we notice that other people are doing something. We make an assumption that there's a good reason. Let's hope that there is, right? That they didn't copy somebody else who copied somebody else. (laughs) Because this reminds (laughs) me of alignment instructions in yoga, Mm. right? One person copied something their teacher said without fully understanding it then somebody else copied them who copied them. And all of a sudden we've got everybody jamming their shoulder blades down their back all the time in every pose.
1: I tend to be on the, on the end of the spectrum that I want everyone to tune into what feels right for themselves. And I, I believe very strongly in the natural intuition of the body. Right. Um, but there's something to be said from following a regiment. As well, I, I, I get that.
0: You have to be attuned to the wisdom of the body in order to be able to follow it. And you, have to, you do have to learn the language of the body to some degree to understand what's going on because the body's so complex. It's easy to get confused by the signals, right? For example, a lot of times where we feel pain in the body is not where there's dysfunction. You can spend a lot of time you know, thinking that your, the front of your chest is messed up, but it's really the back of your shoulder or something like that, you know? Anyway, so to bring it back around to technology, I think what you're saying is that we want to, when we look at what somebody else is doing, sometimes we feel the desire to copy them, or we make an assumption that they had a good reason for doing what they're doing. And then what do we do with that? Do we reach out to that person and say, hey, I noticed that you're doing this. It looks interesting. Tell me why you did it that way. Or do we try to figure that out for ourselves or work backwards from, all right, so what are my needs? And could the way that this person is organizing themselves meet my needs? What do you think?
1: I think ideally I take a deep breath and I slow down because I think so much Of this is around speed moving really really fast and I'm moving so fast that I don't even know what I'm doing or why I'm doing it so just simply asking that question um, okay I see someone else doing this thing is it does it seem like a good idea am I just going to do it because they're doing it is there um some some good reason something that can add to my life that I want to set an intention to do it so really I think it's it's around being conscious just being conscious of the choices that I'm making
0: I think that's very wise one of the things that I've noticed one of the patterns I've noticed with technology is that there is this tendency to make things more and more complex to like build in layers of complexity And what is important to me, and what I want to invite listeners to contemplate, is to regularly evaluate how you're using technology and see if there's anything you can peel away. See if there's anything you could actually simplify. Because sometimes you have this idea that you need something more involved or complex than you actually need. And you don't necessarily know that until you get into it, you try it. But then it seems like the tendency is to just add more and more and more. And there's not a lot of people peeling things away. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. So it makes me just think of like constantly reassessing, hopefully without exhaustion, but just, again, taking the time. Okay. The past self thought this was a good idea, but what does the present self think? You know, and also it it makes me think of like, you know, when we have a lot of tools, often like myself, I, I consider, well, I'm not, I'm not even utilizing all, all of them. Like there's so much more that I could be doing. Um, and sometimes I feel a little guilty about that. I'm like, oh, I know that there's more that I could be doing. So I, I think like the best, maybe the best attitude to have when using technology is being aware that you're always going to feel overwhelmed, mm. right? Like you're always going to be ignorant to so many different things, even if you are a techie even if you're a techie, like, and as things keep moving and expanding more and more, there's just too much. There's too much for any one human being to know all about it. So I think the people that are really successful are the ones that kind of embrace that. And it doesn't really matter for me to know everything. I'm just going to still have fun learning new things.
0: That's a really good point. And to me, it, it points back to our personal practice. And a big part of my practice is monitoring my nervous system and my mental emotional state to seek out the place where I can be most present. And that is neither at a place of real, you know, lethargy nor at a place of over (laughs) activity, right. But the place where there's some healthy relationship between the two. And so within the relationship to technology to watch, like, where am I getting out of balance? Where's my tendency to get out of balance? How can I put some systems into place to watch those tendencies and to help me be in this right relationship? I know that I definitely have a tendency to overuse technology. Like that's a comfort zone for me at this point. And what I really need more than anything is to leave my phone behind and go
1: for a walk in the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too.
0: Even though it's amazing what can be done. Like it's amazing that we can have this conversation, but technology pulls can pull you in and can kind of trick you into thinking it's more important than it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about this question, actually. um, And I think it ties in here. The question is how much? I think it's a really important question to ask. Um, Even I think about it in terms of people, right? Like my favorite person in the world, I still don't want to be around them all the time. (laughs) You know, so it's like, okay, I love this thing. Whatever it is, maybe social media, emailing, how, how much? How much? And, um, and I think the tendency that we have that that I notice a lot is to put ourselves in camps. So this happens in the yoga world, I would say a lot. So it's like, I'm a yogi. So part of the definition of being a yogi in a lot of ways, I think is being like anti-technology, right? So I'm in like the anti-technology yogi camp. And then other people who don't even want to get involved in yoga, right? Like they've labeled themselves differently. I'm not a yogi. I'm this other thing right um and you talk about meeting in the middle and and that's the that's where i want to be you know you're just always asking the question like how much of this and how much of that and that's it
0: i've seen a lot of yoga teachers specifically hold themselves back from their business specifically because of a fear of technology or because of this identity of not being necessarily anti-technology, but not being good at technology, that that's a story that they have about themselves instead of, hey, I'm a smart person and this tech is going to enable me to help more people through yoga. And so I'm going to figure it out. And I've just seen so many people hold themselves back for years, like five, six, eight years. I don't know what they're waiting for. I don't think they're waiting for anything. I don't think that it's a really conscious pattern until sometimes they talk to me about it. And I'm like, wow, you have a vision that you're choosing not to step into because of this barrier here about tech. But you're a smart person and there's massive amounts of resources to help you learn. I think that what a lot of people want is somebody else to kind of save them Mm -hmm. on the tech side that they think somebody else is going to be able to step in and kind of wave a magic wand and take care of all the tech. And that does happen for some people. Like some people find the right person to hire, but more often than not, like I'll talk to yoga teachers and they'll say, I really want a VA to do my social media for me, for example. And the problem is that they don't understand how social media works. The yoga teacher themselves does not understand how social media works. So they wouldn't actually be able to guide a VA to do a good job with their social media in a way that would even be worth the amount that they would pay the VA. Because the VA is not a strategist, right? The VA is an implementer role. It's a virtual assistant for anybody listening who isn't familiar with that term. So a VA can take content that you have created and turn it into a certain format. They can create emails, they can create social media posts, they can create little Canva posts, but that's not what drives the business. What drives the business is the vision behind it. And if the yoga teacher doesn't know how social media works, they're not going to be able to be in partnership with a VA in a way that would help them, would bring them more business, which is what most people want from social media.
1: One obstacle that I notice is, is just change. Change is really hard. Venturing into uncharted waters is tough. And I think we should, we should acknowledge that. But ultimately I think yogi should be the best at doing this, right? If we're really practicing like beginner's mind, Mm. right? Like beginner's mind, allows me to be really bad at something for a while <laughs> and, and and have that be okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I think the challenge with, that people come into, which I totally relate to, is it's one thing to be really bad at something that brings you joy. It's another thing to be really bad at something that you kind of feel internally conflicted about especially that you're not sure if it aligns with your values or not. And I even have that conflicted relationship with social media myself. Like I see, and I've had some recent conversations on the podcast about this where, yeah, there's some awesome connections that can happen through social media. And there's also a way that social media is damaging for people's mental health and promotes the most reactive side of ourselves. And also Rewards shallow content. So that's where I think people get into that stuck place. You know, like it's hard to take action when you're not sure that it's actually in alignment with your values.
1: I, I love that you made this point because I definitely feel that way a lot too. It's like, even though Facebook and Instagram are effective tools that do a lot of great things. Again, it's it's they're they're complex, right? But they're also um, proponents of yes, like this shallowness that I don't feel comfortable with. Um, maybe a centeredness on the ego um, that doesn't always feel healthy to me either. Of us just competing. Oh, look at me! Look at me! How good you know I'm so good. Uh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. So to go to that place. um, Yeah, I I get it. I, I totally get it. It makes sense to me.
0: I do too. And one of the things that I want to encourage yoga teachers to recognize is that social media is not a prerequisite for having a thriving yoga business, that there are other options out there. And that even social media alone isn't going to be enough for everything. If you're conflicted about social media, you don't have to do it, you know, but if you are going to do it, recognize that it's a choice because that's where I think we get stuck unnecessarily is if we think we're forced, right? I mean, nobody wants to be forced. You can look at any, (laughs) three-year-old <laughs> on <laughs> the planet and see that 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 desire for free will is really strong and so if we have this sense of like okay i'm not sure that this is ethical but i have to be here we're not going to do that great a job
1: yeah i mean right we basically don't have to do anything and i think that's an important thing to remember give, give ourselves the freedom um but i'll tell you something that that works really really well for me that I think is is could be a key. Um, and that is viewing ourselves in the third person. It's something I've been been playing with. Right. So like this me that's talking to you right now, that is also the safekeeper of Avi. I'm mm-hmm. like the guy I'm the protector. I'm the guider of Avi. Like I, I see it as my role to keep him healthy, right? To foster health. And maybe it's your role to do the same for Mado. And, and so when we look at it from that perspective, I think it becomes easier if we can do that. It it becomes easier to say like, okay, like I think you can use social media for this and that, and you'll feel okay about it. Uh, And there'll be some goodness there. But at the same time, if you get caught in, looking at other people's profiles and going down the feeds and and all that, I've noticed that that's not great for you. That doesn't make you feel so good. So we're gonna dissect that a little bit, right? Um, so yeah, I'll just share that because it, I'm working on it because it's really hard. It's a totally, it's like the difference between like being stuck in who you are and observing who you are. And there's so much power in being the witness. You
0: know? Yeah, and what that's making me think of and tell me if this, Aligns with how you are thinking about this is separating the prefrontal cortex from basically the other parts of the brain, right? The instinctive parts of ourselves that just kind of act. And then later on, we go, Whoa, I just did that. I didn't have any intention to do that. That was just me. And sometimes it's a reaction to something else, and sometimes it's just a habit, right? Habitual behavior. And so to recognize, like, okay, We also have this higher thinking function that can evaluate, can discern, can plan. And it's our opportunity as humans to harness that higher thinking as much as we can. And that's, I think, a a great deal of what we're doing in yoga, in our yoga practice, is connecting with and strengthening the prefrontal cortex. What do you think about that? Do you have? Does
1: that align with? Yeah, 100%. It's like this new way of being and exploring into that. It's like I can remember when I first did Shavasana, right? And this, I think many many people have this experience of deep relaxation that they've never felt before. And it's amazing, right? It's amazing to be that relaxed and comfortable. Um, And as we do it, it becomes easier to go to that place, Right. And I think, too, like we often don't realize how far we've come. We just know that the current experience that I'm sitting in and it's nice to reflect and maybe positively reinforce yourself a little bit and say, wow, I've 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 come a long way and uh, hopefully I'll go I'll go further, too. Um, So maybe that speaks to it a little bit. I mean, I I just see it as, you know, using a different muscle, a different part of the mind. And, and I know that the more that I do that, the easier it's going to be to, to go there.
0: I do really appreciate that kind of gentleness. I think perfectionism is a real hindrance to what I was talking about earlier, which is presence.
1: Yeah, I think this is right. And it's a lack of wholeness, a feeling of wholeness. I'm whole and complete the way that I am questioning that right hmm. um, for me that's the goal to feel that way um, and I'll say what what helps me on the path toward being in that place is seeing that if I'm serious about being of service to other other people in my life I want to do good then I need to feel whole I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm questioning myself and um, judging, who I am. And I got to a point where it's like, I'm so sick of judging myself. <laughs> it's just like, I'm so tired of it. Like, it's just old. Like how many years of doing that? Um, so, so yeah, but that this kind of karma yoga, you could say the service attitude gives me the fire to, if I didn't have that, uh, I don't think I'd be as successful.
0: Gosh, I love this. I feel like we've really come to this beautiful perspective on right use of technology, which is so apt for our audience and our community. Do your practice. Live your practice. And if that is your focus, if that is your top priority, then your relationship with technology is going to be an extension of that and is going mm-hmm. to be as healthy as your relationship to yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave it, but I'd love to hear if there's anything else arising in you that you want to share on this topic or anything that you feel should be emphasized about it.
1: Thanks. You know, I, I wrote down two points, um, and we've discussed them, but they're both important to me. Um, so one, again, is asking how much, how much of anything. I think that's a, a really good question to be asking in terms of our relationship with technology, especially. Um, and then the other is, is just like being comfortable in the uncomfortable. I think that's another real key to success using technology, moving into uncharted waters and like maintaining this like lightness of Of oneself, you know, like of myself, like I love that so much. Like, I'm not taking myself seriously, I'm not worrying about how good I am. Like, and that's why kids are so much more successful too with the technology because they don't care about that. They're just like, I'm going to press all the buttons, and it doesn't matter, there is no wrong button, you know, and by pressing all of them, I'm going to learn how it functions. So that's a really hard thing, I think, especially for the older generation to be able to do. It's like being okay with making mistakes. And most of the time, <laughs> you know, nothing terrible is gonna happen. It's still gonna be okay. And so playing around with stuff is how you learn.
0: Oh my God, such a great reminder. Yes. Avi, thank you so much for engaging in this conversation with me. I think that it's gonna be really useful to, to some listeners to anyone who has been struggling with this relationship. So I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Great to be with you and I.
0: One of the things I love about having guests on the podcast is I never know exactly where the conversation is gonna end up. When I first started the podcast, this was actually pretty terrifying for me because I care so much about it. I really wanted it to be good every episode. Over time, I've been able to let go of that perfectionism a little bit and embrace the mystery of where each conversation will lead. In retrospect, it feels kind of inevitable that our conversation around the right use of technology ended up pointing us right back at our own personal yoga practice. But I promise we did not plan this out ahead of time. And to continue with that theme, it's the perfect time to ask you, how your home practice has been going lately. The theme that's been coming up for me recently is how effective a really simple practice can be. For many years, I had this idea in the back of my head that my home practice would get more and more complex as I became more advanced and I actually kind of cringe now to think about how obviously silly that sounds in retrospect, But it wasn't really a conscious belief. It was more of a subconscious story in the back of my head. One of the things I love most about yoga is that it's really simple at its essence. And this is why it can make a profound impact on a person, even on a complete beginner. Although the depth of the benefit of practice happens over a long period of time. So if you have the same pattern as I do and you sometimes resist your practice because there's an idea in the back of your head below the level of conscious awareness that it's supposed to look a certain way or progress a certain way, I hope that you can invite yourself back in in the simplest way possible. Let simple, short, and consistent be enough. That's all for this week. As always, thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.